Morning, everyone. Got a question for you. Who do you love? Who do you love? As you think about who you love, how do you know you love them? How do you know you love them? So uh, maybe it's a family member. Uh, Maybe it's a friend. How do you know you love them? So in our relationships, love is exhibited in a number of ways. Uh, Maybe it's prayer um, for our loved ones far away. Maybe it's um, service. Maybe it's working for, working with, teaching, training, nurturing, if it's children, young children perhaps. Uh, How do we know we love our spouse if we're married? Um, We're kind to them. We serve them. We pray for them. um, We minister to them. When it comes to God, do we love God? How do we know we love God? If I ask you, do you love God? Uh, most of you will say, certainly do, Rob, uh, and I believe you. But how do we know we, we love God? It's primarily um, because we obey him. I want to read you a few verses. John fourteen twenty three. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. John goes on to say in uh, the letter he wrote in 1 John, 1 John 2, verse 3, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. 1 John 5, verse 2, This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And so while um, love in our human relationships takes many different shapes, many different ways, uh, love for God is inseparably connected to obeying God. If we love him, We obey him. So that great command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and strength, you can put the word obey in there uh, and nothing sounds wrong about it. Obey the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love and obedience, fundamentally connected. Uh, In light of Josh's big announcement, um, for Maz and I for 10 years... We have um, really longed to live in the country, um, to raise our children in the country. Um, We were both raised in the country ourselves, loved our upbringing um, and everything that came with it. Um, When we first got married, uh, we always planned to um, live in the country as well, um, but it was challenging with my work. And um, last year, um, we spent... We committed to make that year a year of uh, seeking after God and saying, God, where do you want us? 
here, there, or anywhere. Um, where do you want to take us? What do you want to use our gifts for? What do you want to use our family for? Um, so we spent last year praying and thinking about that. Uh, and then this year, an opportunity came up with my work to um, move to Bendigo, um, to uh, lead the office of um, my company in Bendigo. And then this, uh, this turmoil comes because um, this has been something that we've been wanting to do for 10 years, um, but is it the right timing? And as um, I spent much time praying and thinking about it, as Maz was praying about it, as um, others were praying for us, it really became clear to me that it was a bit of a love decision. Um, I love my family deeply. Um, I want the best for them. Um, believed that a move to Bendigo would be fantastic for them. Uh, and on the other hand, um, I love being part of this church um, incredibly deeply. I've uh, invested so much heart and soul into this place and it is um, a place with, full of beautiful people that I love so much. And um, as I was wrestling with this decision, this obedience decision, God, am I being obedient? Um, taking my family to Bendigo because if I'm not um, I won't do it it's a bad decision um, am I obeying you that's first and foremost of critical importance um, I knew Maz was super keen um, knew it'd be great for the kids there was no question in my mind um, about the benefits of it but is it obedient is it love for God uh, and God really encouraged me after um, three or four months of struggling with this that basically hit me over the head and said, hey, Bozo, loving your wife is not disobeying me. So, and loving your family is not disobeying me. Uh, and, and I realised that um, love for church, love for wife and family, um, love for wife comes first. Uh, and... I'm really excited to see what God will do through that. But obedience is never easy. Love, deciding what we'll love, deciding um, the things we won't love, um, the matters of the human heart are always complex, always uh, involved. But obedience, <coughs> critical. As we start a new series, we've been spending a lot of time this year in the book of John. Um, we've spent some time in chapters 14 through 17 uh, looking at what encouragement we can draw from there about what it means to be an obedient disciple. What encouragement did Jesus give? What teaching did he provide to his disciples um, just before he went to the cross uh, in those several chapters in John? Now we come to the final chapters of John, John 18, 19, 20 and 21. We're going to spend several weeks there um, looking at Jesus taking up his cross, looking at Jesus uh, as the ultimate embodiment of what an obedient um, follower looks like, an obedient um, follower of God, an obedient someone who's submission, submissive to and obedient to God. These, are, these chapters are some of the most important um, chapters in the Bible. Uh, all, all four gospel writers um, spend um, a decent amount of time covering this part of Jesus' life. And, of course, in the whole of human history, no moments, hours or days are more important. This um, is really incredible. It's, it's awesome. Um, it's incomprehensible. 
and as we spend time together. Uh, we really hope you're blessed in your personal obedience. If I ask you about your health, you'll probably uh, have no issues telling me about your health. If, you are, if I ask you about your family, you'll probably share about your family. If I say, how's your obedience going? Um, how's your struggle with sin going? That's a, that's a far more tricky question for us to, to uh, think about, isn't it? Something very personal. Um, something that we struggle to be fully open with, fully transparent about. But obedience. Great for us as Christian believers to focus on it. We all want to love God more. We want to be more intimate with him. How are we going to do that? Uh, by spending more time learning about obedience, studying the example of Christ and learning from him. So we come to the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane just meaning uh, olive press. So a long time ago, uh, at the dawn of human history, a man finds himself in a perfect garden, surrounded by beauty, only peace, no conflict, his beautiful wife beside him, everything happy, everything in his favour, nothing against him. But when tested in the Garden of Eden, Adam blatantly disobeys God's command. Adam's sin, Adam's rejection against God's rule, his rebellion against God, brings havoc, brings death to all creation and all of his descendants. Fast forward now uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane. A very different garden. Jesus, the Son of God and the Son of Man, finds himself in a garden too, full of sorrow and anguish, alone in his sorrow while the men he's trained sleep nearby. Betrayed by one of his 12 disciples and ultimately deserted by all of them, he's asked to drink a cup that he doesn't deserve and knowing all that is going to happen to him, he obeys perfectly. His obedience comes through the fires of temptation, suffering, injustice, betrayal, isolation and loneliness. One man's failure in the garden brings death, chaos, destruction. One man's obedience in a garden brings life, brings peace, brings forgiveness, brings reconciliation that otherwise could not happen. When we come to John 18 to 21, you can't have the cross without the garden. You can't have the resurrection without the cross. It all goes together. The perfect son of God uh, going in submissive obedience to the father and his will to bring salvation. We have a contrast here in this chapter um, with Peter. Of course, Peter, the night before, has said, um, when Jesus tells Peter he's going to deny Christ, Peter says, no way. Um, I would rather die, I'd be prepared to die, rather than to abandon you, Jesus. This is the same Peter that said, you are the Christ, the Son of God, you're the Messiah. Um, you are the Son of God. He's confident in that. The night before, Jesus says, you're all going to fall away because of me. When the shepherds struck, the sheep are going to flee. Peter says, no, 
Not if, if everyone else abandons you, I won't. But Peter's exhausted, Peter's cold, Peter's full of sorrow. And Peter crumbles under pressure. Peter falls. Peter disobeys. I'm not going to spend much time on Peter this morning. Um, some great stuff to read about him and how Jesus later reinstates him, restores him, guards his faith. Remember that Jesus said to Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith won't fall, your faith won't fail. He didn't pray that Peter will not abandon him in the garden. He said, Peter, I know your faith's going to take a, a real knock and I've been praying for you that it won't fail. And it didn't. He went on to become uh, a foundation stone uh, and pillar that Christ built the early church on. But this morning, with the time we have, I really just want to spend on some of the spend time thinking about some of the things that Jesus encountered in his path of obedience uh, and how he overcame them, uh, and see what we can be encouraged by reflecting on that. And uh, I've been looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke and John in this, so it's not um, exclusively coming out of John this morning. But you can turn with me and we'll read a few other passages as well. The first area of uh, obedience that Jesus comes up against uh, is obedience when faced with loneliness, isolation and tiredness. So if you want to turn with me to Matthew 26... Matthew Mark, and, Matthew, Mark and Luke all spend quite a bit of time on Jesus in the garden before Judas arrives with the soldiers, but John doesn't spend much time on that. Matthew chapter 26. Jesus' first test of obedience, loneliness, isolation and tiredness. Matthew 26, 36 says, Then Jesus went with them, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to the, even to the point of death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from, from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter, enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. 
For me, when uh, the sun's shining, um, everything's in my favour, nothing to complain about, I can still be a disobedient. Um, my track record at 2am or 4am in the morning is even worse. Um, as Maz can testify, in the early years of marriage, it was those 2am um, um, tug-of-wars over blankets, undersized blankets in the middle of winter. In, in later years of marriage, we've uh, got over blanket fights. And now it's about, um, OK, there's a, a kid that's wet the bed. Someone needs to change the sheets. Um, there's a crying baby that won't settle. Uh, there's vomit somewhere. Um, someone needs to do a hospital run. I tell you, at 2 or 4 a.m. in the morning, um, I'd like to say I'm perfectly be obedient and it's just, you know, second nature for me to go, yep, honey, I'd love to do that. Um, it's not the case. Here's Jesus. You couldn't throw a set of circumstances at someone more onerous to them being at their best. He's, he's extremely tired. He's exhausted. He's going through the same journey that his disciples gone through. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever tried to do an all-night prayer session. Um, I've done a few in my years, and I've only ever been able to do them with friends uh, in small or large groups. I don't know if you ever try and um, spend the night in prayer by yourself and see how long you go before you fall asleep. It's probably about half an hour for me, max. Um, but here's Jesus praying alone. Uh, he asks his friends, please, you're my closest friends. Please watch and pray with me. Um, he's troubled. He's full of anguish. But through that loneliness, isolation and tiredness, he's obedient. He's obedient. He entrusts himself fully to the Father through devoted prayer. All the while the impending um, physical agony and spiritual agony of the cross uh, is approaching. I can only worship in awe and wonder and say, what a saviour. Who is this man uh, that can have such full-hearted obedience under such isolation and loneliness? The second area uh, that challenges Jesus' obedience is betrayal and abandonment. If you've still got Matthew 26 open, uh, we read from verse 48. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion? 
that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Judas, of course, was uh, a rotten egg from the start. Um, He was a thief. Uh, He stole, he was in charge of the money bags of Jesus and the disciples, and he took from those money bags. Um, He was never, as far as we can tell, um, someone who was actually committed to the cause of Christ, committed to his ministry, but saw it as a bit of a gravy train that he could feather his own nest. But Jesus was, wasn't ignorant to, to what Judas was like and his character. But imagine that betrayal. Jesus coming up, greetings Rabbi, this uh, pretense of love and, you know, you're my best friend. Um, but it was already a prearranged signal that who, who he kissed um, would be the one he betrays. I personally haven't experienced um, betrayal and abandonment that I, that I feel some people would have and, and some of you would have. I've had workmates that smile on the outside and echo their wholehearted support on one hand but then stab you in the back and try and undermine you um, to everyone else. Um, I've experienced relationships that were really strong, um, going sour uh, and becoming sources of um, discouragement. But I feel like Um, my experiences are limited. I don't know about you. But I've certainly learned in my experiences that it's very difficult to maintain a heart of love um, and support for those who betray you um, or let you down. People are supposed to be there for you, you're supposed to help out, and they didn't, they let you down. Jesus' followers scatter. They abandon him. Yet even in the midst of this, Jesus is ensuring they get away safely. He says in John, if you want me, you've got me. Let these men go. Um, One writer puts it that if um, Jesus is aware that if his disciples are taken with him and tortured and beaten and so on, maybe it's all too much. Maybe they do give up. Jesus knows what they can withstand. Uh, It's also a fulfilment of the prophecy that says Jesus will not lose any one of the ones that he's been given. When Peter denies Christ for the third time, we read that Jesus turns and looks at Peter directly. And Peter breaks down Uh, and goes out and weeps. But through this betrayal and abandonment, um, plenty of reasons for Jesus to go, you know what? No No one's doing this with me. Why should I be obedient when no one else is? Why should I be the one blazing the trail when the people around me don't serve, don't care, don't help, um, don't suffer with me? You can insert anything there about blaming the people around you for your own disobedience, right? But Jesus steps forward in obedience.
The third area of obedience that I want to look at is about the cup uh, and submission and surrender. So Jesus being challenged, will he submit to the Father's will? Will he surrender his will? Um, obedience always requires us to, to submit to someone else. We're obedient to the police. We submit to the law. If we're obedient to God, we submit to, to his will uh, and put our will aside. When the soldiers come and they ask, we want Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus simply says, I am. You miss that in the English, but it's the same as the name of God, Yahweh. Jesus says, I am. Twice he says, I am. Simply, I am. The first time they say it, uh, the mob draws back, falls to the ground. John's the only one that uh, records this. It's as if uh, maybe Judas has worded them up about some of the things he's seen. Uh, I saw Jesus tell a storm, be still, and it was still. Uh, I saw him feed 5,000 people miraculously. I've seen him raise people from the dead. This guy's not going to be easy to arrest, not going to be easy to catch. In fact, Jesus, Jesus has no need to take flight. We talk about fight or flight. Jesus says... If I click my fingers, I could have 70,000 war angels at my disposal. I think that would be enough to take care of uh, a renter mob that Judas has paid a few silver coins to uh, and a detachment of soldiers. Jesus himself is fully aware of his capacity to fight this situation, to escape this situation. He says, all I had to do is ask the Father. He would immediately put at my disposal these many angels in a Roman legion, 6,000 soldiers. We read in, in the Old Testament of one single angel taking out hundreds of thousands of soldiers in a single night. But Jesus is too faithful. There will be no fight. He's committed to filling, fulfilling the Father's will, committed to his salvation plan, and he willingly puts himself forward to be bound and arrested. He says, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me to Peter? So what is this cup? What is in the cup? Suffering, certainly, um, but more than that. To find out what's in the cup, um, we need to go back to the Old Testament. There's a number of references. Jeremiah 25, we read about this cup of the wine of wrath that's in the hand of the Lord. In Isaiah 51, we read about drinking from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. In Psalm 75, we read about in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. Isaiah 63 has a picture of someone treading the winepress of the fury of God and about trampling down uh, people in God's anger. And sometimes to our uh, modern ears, I think this, this uh, vision of God in his wrath, in his fury, 
uh, against sin and evil has become a bit less taught about perhaps. Um, I guess in popular culture, we like to focus on the love of God and not so much on his judgment and wrath. But a helpful way for me to think about it, and maybe for you as well, um, is there a particular sin that makes you angry? A particular sin that makes you angry? Um, For me, I feel absolutely furious when I hear about a small child being sexually abused or neglected. Um, A really deep sense of rage fills me. Rightfully or wrongfully, I feel a sense of murderous justice towards the people that perpetrate such crimes. Uh, And as God's children, we should rightly share his hatred of all sin. See, the problem there is I'm just another sinner shining a spotlight on someone else's sin. Um, I've got plenty of my own sin in other areas. I'm no less deserving of God's wrath against my sin. It's easier to be angry about someone else's, though, I find than my own but my sin is no less serious or an infringement of God's perfection and holiness and I think it's that fact that we have our own sinfulness that makes it impossible for us to fully grasp or comprehend God's rage and wrath against sin Um, I can picture God's wrath against someone who abuses small children um, and I celebrate that wrath but against my own sin hmm, that's a bit more challenging but this cup this cup filled with the wrath of God so imagine just for a brief moment the fullness of human sin over the history of the world all the selfishness violence, violation corruption, stealing, lying all the spiritual evil idolatry self-worship, rebellion hypocritical false religion As a created human being, I can feel angry about that act of neglect, someone leaving some little toddler in a cot while they snort drugs or something like this that makes me furious. Now imagine the almighty creator in all all his perfection and his infinite hatred of evil and all the fury that must be directed at that evil because God loves righteousness, because God loves truth and justice. Now put it in a cup and put it in Jesus' hand and say, drink that. Drink that. Because that is exactly what happened at the cross. We read in Isaiah 53, a few places, it says, Surely he took up our pain, a prophecy about Jesus, and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah 53.10 says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And in 2 Corinthians 5, it simply says, For our sake God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If this example of submission and surrender to God's will doesn't challenge us, um, I don't know what would. Um, As I was getting stuck into this passage and stuck into these um, accounts of of Jesus' obedience, 
I certainly had to uh, spend some time on my knees going, am I surrendered? And thinking through all the various areas of my life and um, confessing some sin, um, committing myself to pursue God in in greater obedience. Uh, And that's what this passage should do. That's what reflecting on um, Jesus' sacrifice at the cross, reflecting on his perfect obedience in the garden should do for all of us. I don't know uh, where you're at with your obedience. I don't know if you're holding on to some um, dark areas in your life that you need to actually surrender, let go. Um, We certainly can't say we love God, um, but we don't obey him. Uh, His saviourhood is tied with his lordship. Christ must be saviour and lord, can't just be saviour without being lord. And that, uh, that, I guess, for me is the first um, real application um, that I want to leave with you this morning. Because everyone, first and foremost, um, is in one of two camps. Um, there are those people who are heading towards God's terrible judgment and wrath against their sin because they haven't accepted the forgiveness that Jesus offers. If you don't find yourself on the day of judgment with the perfect shield of Jesus to stand in front of that wrath of God. We can't over-exaggerate how terrible it will be uh, to fall into the hands of a living God uh, in judgment over your sin. Impossible to overestimate it. There's a second camp of people which is uh, most, if not all of us this morning, who have been forgiven for our sins. We've actually put our trust in Jesus. We've said, Jesus, be be my shield. Be my sacrifice in my place. I accept your blood covering my sin. Uh, And Jesus soaked up every drop of God's anger on your behalf. He satisfied God's demand for justice completely if you've put your trust in him. So that's first and foremost. Have you placed yourself under the protection and salvation of of Jesus Christ, the only one who can save you from God's anger against sin? Um, Individually then, as we think about obedience, um, is there a pathway to greater obedience? I think as we think about obedience, we often make excuses. I was tired. Yeah, I know I disobeyed, but I was tired. Um, you know, I was hungry. Um, so-and-so let me down. We see a lot of those excuses stripped away um, as we come to this passage. And we see perfect obedience where um, Jesus has all those things present and is still obedient. So our encouragement this morning, no excuses. When it comes to obedience, no excuses. Let's do it. Jesus says, watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. I think there's a great lesson there that um, more prayer equals um, better chance of obedience. Less prayer means greater weakness to temptation uh, and to disobedience. And finally, um, I think there's a, a collective application here for us as a church. I've been in many different churches. One church we went um, that we were a part of in South Africa um, 
had a lower socioeconomic demographic. Um, the pastor was an ex-alcoholic. The deacons were ex-drug addicts. It was right next to a um, sort of slum area. Um, a lot of the people in the church were fairly poor. Um, some really just scraping by day to day. The church was so refreshing to have someone come up the front of the church and say, um, guys, I need you to pray for me. I'm really struggling with my um, drug addiction again. Uh, I really need your prayer, really need your support. Refreshing in the sense that it wasn't about masks, it wasn't about putting on a facade, wearing some nice clothes and pretending everything's easy, pretending everything's all good um, and so on. And I think as a church here, we can be better at supporting each other in, in vulnerability. Uh, if you come to me asking for help because you're struggling with some sin, you're not going to shock me, you won't catch me off guard. Um, I'll happily pray for you and I hope you'll pray for me too. Um, vulnerability, openness. It's really hard to grow together as a church, to grow in love for God if we can't grow in obedience for God and it's hard to grow in obedience if we can't hold each other accountable, if we can't actually talk to each other openly about our, our challenges, if we can't pray together, whether that's in small groups, ones or twos or close friends in the church. I've been really blessed here by being part of a Bible study where... We were spending some of our time in Bible study directly and then some of our time asking each other accountability questions. Um, but I'd really encourage you, be the kind of person that holds other people accountable. Be the kind of person that invites accountability. Be the kind of person that is open and vulnerable about your own weakness. Um, no pretending. Um, we might have a go at Peter and say, oh, so fickle. I challenge any of us to be in that same garden and do anything different. Um, Jesus is a great example of obedience. He's one that we can all be encouraged by. I want to pray for us. Uh, but before I do, I just want to read this encouragement from Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12 verse 3 says... Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which sings, clings so closely or easily entangles. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, this example of Christ's obedience in the garden is um, it really is incomprehensible at some levels because our fundamental nature um, our deceitful hearts lead us to disobedience so quickly at times. Yet we see Jesus under every pressure imaginable. Hasn't even got to the cross or the, the rooms full of jeering soldiers yet, Lord, but is already uh, under such immense pressure and temptation and testing. Yet through it all, Lord, he comes out demonstrating that he is the perfect son of God, the only one who can 
undo what Adam did uh, in the Garden of Eden. Be the one who is obedient in everything. Lord, so often in our own obedience, um, we find it a struggle. We give in to temptation too easily. Our prayer muscles, our encouragement muscles, our obedience muscles are soft and weak. And Lord, we look to Jesus and, and ask you to keep him at the forefront of our minds as we face the challenges of daily and moment-by-moment -moment obedience, to love those around us, to be faithful at work, at home, uh, to be obedient in so many areas. So Lord, we just ask for your help. We pray that we'll be a church of people that are obedient, a church of people that love you through our obedience, uh, and a church that makes it easier for people to obey because we do support each other, we encourage each other, we hold each other accountable. And we pray for each other to resist temptation and to be obedient to your word. Help us, Lord, and we need the power of your Holy Spirit uh, to fill our hearts and help us do all these things. In the precious name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.